On today's episode, we will talk about Kenine in the Major Arcana, The Hermit. I am a big fan of this card, so I'm really excited to talk about it on today's episode. Time to jump in. On Crystalline Knowledge Tarot, I'll share all things tarot, with a little bit of social science, a large dose of feminism, and a sprinkling of mysticism to show how tarot can be used for learning, self-development, and collective liberation. There are many perspectives on the practice of tarot and how to read and interpret the cards. This is my perspective, not the perspective, and I respect the many tarot journeys that people are on. This is how I practice and the lens I bring. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. Because this falls during the first week of the year, you are lucky enough to get two episodes this week. And today is all about the Hermit, which is key nine in the Major Arcana. And this is a card that if you are an introvert or someone who relishes in reflection and solitude, that you probably really like. And if you're the opposite, outgoing, always wanting to be around lots and lots of people in, you know, noisy, bustling, busy environments, you may pull this card and be like, wait, what? I hate that. And as I said in the intro, I have always really liked this card. And maybe I do want to tap a little bit into that leave me alone energy that some people get from it. But more so, and not sound silly or pretentious, although I'm about to, I've always viewed myself as a seeker of knowledge and wisdom and have had this hope that as I gain more insight and experience that I can share it with others and contribute back to collective knowledge and understanding and progress. And that's what I did when I was a professor. That's what I'm trying to do with this podcast, with my social media that I'm terrible at using. So, you know, go give me a follow or whatever. But I want to step into that role. And so this card really resonates with me on multiple levels. I also think it does resonate with people this time of the year. Again, I'm recording this episode at the end of December. It's going to go live in early January. And this is a time of reflection, of introspection. I live in Michigan and it's cloudy and cold or usually cold, but not really that cold this year. It gets dark early every day. And after the holiday season, I think a lot of people want a break. They want a second or two to think and to digest and to reflect. And that's a lot of hermit energy. If you read a run-of-the-mill tarot book or a booklet that comes along with your deck, you may think that the hermit is just about being alone or needing to take time to be by yourself and alone and no social interaction. But this interpretation of the hermit is maybe a bit pedestrian. I don't want to discredit the solitary elements that come along with this card, but the hermit is a seeker. The hermit is a seeker of knowledge, of insight, of wisdom and understanding, of divine messages. 
And the hermit is also a mentor or teacher type figure, more of the mentor side, who does open and extend the wisdom that they have gained to others. So you might be asking, well, this is a card about wisdom, knowledge, divine messages. How is it different from the Hierophant, which was key five? And I think that there are maybe some similarities in terms of general interpretations or keywords that may be associated with the cards, a mentor, sort of teacher, figure, learned, divine guidance, wisdom, etc. But the Hierophant is someone who is the conventional, traditional, orthodox authority on spirituality, on religion, on the divine, whereas the hermit is unorthodox. He, she, they come to their spiritual knowledge and wisdom via a more unconventional path. The hermit is also a kind of guardian of higher thoughts, insights, contemplation, but they don't hoard it or gatekeep it in the same way that the Hierophant might. Um, instead, we could think of encountering the Hermit and working through a meditation practice or reflection practice. The Hermit shares wisdom through their gift of prophecy, not broadcasting their knowledge about in a public way in the same way that the Hierophant might. We have to maybe work a little bit to get the knowledge from the hermit, but they do share this information. It's it's democratized information. It's in the hermit, but it's also within you, and you can uncover it using these same methods as the hermit. You don't need that sort of um, middleman um, between the divine and yourself, which is the hierophant. And this idea, um, you know, traditional religion and knowledge being communicated through ordained authorities like a priest or a professor and through official texts. There's a right way and a wrong way to think about things or to practice, but this is not the hermit's way. Their way is a bit eclectic, it's a bit mystical, it's spiritual. If we lay the cards out, in three rows of seven, as I've talked about quite a few times already on the show, the hermit is directly below the high priestess. And we can see how some of her hidden knowledge has been revealed at this point. And the six-pointed star that lights the hermit's lantern guides our path to a deeper understanding of the unknown, the mystical, the subconscious, that we are traveling through in this journey through the tarot. So let's talk quickly about associations. The hermit is associated with the element of earth, that receptive, integrated, grounding energy with the zodiac sign of, of Virgo, who's sort of diligently working in service. And that energy can be, if we aren't careful, stuck in the ground, a bit too dogmatic perhaps, and the hermit is associated with the planet Mercury, again, the messenger of the planets, bringing in that wisdom and knowledge and divine insight quickly when we are receptive to it. And keywords for the hermit, um, we've already talked about some of these, include things like wisdom, mentorship, learnedness, contemplation, um, 
erudition, discretion, uh, seeking truth, and introspection. It may indicate a time for meditation and contemplation. It may also indicate looking around you for that mentor, for that sage, for, for that person, that elder in the community to provide that wisdom that you are seeking. And it can be a bit about withdrawal or taking time away, but it can also be not just about spending time alone, but spending time doing meaningful things that are bringing about a higher level of consciousness and wisdom. There's also that traditional element, again, of a mentor, a person around you that's this elder in the community who embodies wisdom, discretion, understanding, but who maybe has a degree of being prophetic, of being tuned into divine uh, messages. This is a very spiritual card to me when, when, I, when I think about the imagery and the associations. And the number nine in the tarot also corresponds to completing a cycle or a journey or of near completion. And I think of nines, especially the presence of multiple nines in a reading, as wanting to have some kind of positive impact of sharing the wealth of knowledge that we have accumulated during this stage of our journey. And as I mentioned, the hermit is a seeker. They're on a journey or a pilgrimage of some kind. And that does require a degree of solitude in order to get quiet enough to tap into the wisdom that the hermit seeks. And so the hermit does bring to mind images of a recluse, of a person who lives a uh, largely in solitude spiritual existence somewhere remote or inaccessible. Maybe they live in the snowy mountains, or they reside in the desert, or they live deep in the woods in a cave. And we probably imagine them as a bit austere, right? The monk or spiritual seeker who wears a simple cloth, who has no possessions, who maybe fasts, barely eats or drinks. They're an outsider. They've left mainstream society and perhaps they've been shunned from it for being too different, for not fitting the mold, for being too weird. And to be clear, this image of the isolationist loner type sage uh, can be and, and is maybe a, a part of the hermit aesthetic. But there's another piece to this story. The hermit may be in solitude, but they are welcoming to other seekers who come to them because they are a mentor. They will let the weary traveler stay in their cave house deep in the woods. Um, you know, they're a bit heavy metal, a bit avant-garde, a bit punk rock, right? They have decided that they don't need the norms and expectations of society that they can communicate with the divine and create their own path and journey outside of social norms. And again, they are willing to share that knowledge and insight 
and have a space for others who are outcasts or who are on a different path. Uh, he, she, they aren't antisocial. Now, they, they may appear that way to those who are only open to conventional norms, thoughts, ideas, ways of being, but the hermit is open and engaging with those who seek that separate path and insight in a genuine way, right? They're a wise woman or a wise man or a wise person. They have tales of wisdom to share, but they've rejected society's bullshit. So they can come off a bit gruff or weird, but it's only because we are unsettled when we encounter a type of knowledge and wisdom and insight that's unencumbered, that's that's set away from these these conventional ideas and that's unorthodox. When I think of some of the shadows that may come with the hermit, here is where I think about the cautions of spending too much time alone or of withdrawing too much, where you've retreated too much from life, from spirit, from other people. And we have recently experienced a somewhat prolonged shadow hermit period that started with lockdowns and remote life during the early stages of the pandemic. And we can see how this has continued to have lasting effects on people. And I want to draw once again on the ideas of sociologist Emil Durkheim. And, you know, Durkheim gets a bad rap sometimes. Marx and Weber got a lot more attention. People have continued to talk about their ideas in a way that Durkheim's are not. But when I think about the dangers of social isolation and things that have happened in society as we navigate life after first being introduced to COVID, I'm reminded that although Durkheim didn't get everything right, there was really a lot of insight there. Essentially, the pandemic fundamentally changed how we behaved. And this was most obvious in the immediate weeks and months following social distancing and lockdown and quarantine protocol. And in a relatively short period of time, the social norms and expectations of everyday behavior were radically altered. What work looked like, what school looked like, what it meant to go shopping or get groceries or go outside among people, these things all changed so quickly. There became an almost immediate lack of social spaces outside of our homes. And this had already been dwindling. The decline and absence of public spaces and so-called third spaces, it was made even smaller. And we lost connections to our social support networks. We weren't sure what would come next. People lost jobs. People lost their lives. People dropped out of school. There was this immense degree of uncertainty surrounding our lives. And this time period gave rise to what Durkheim termed anomie. And anomie is often mistranslated or misinterpreted as normlessness. But it isn't that there's a lack of norms entirely. Uh, rather, it's that the hold of the norms on us or the normalness of the norms has been disrupted. And this happens during war, during a natural disaster, 
and it happened during COVID, and new norms start replacing old norms rapidly. So there's this sense of a lack of stability, a lack of structure, a lack of understanding how our day-to-day will look. And this, coupled with physical distance from much of our typical social interaction, led to feelings of isolation, of mental health issues, of a general sense of malaise and anxiety about the future. And it didn't really disappear as things opened back up and norms returned at least somewhat for many people to something similar to what had happened before. One, let's be real, many people were scarred by the loss of loved ones or of having their own health trauma and issues related to COVID. But even outside of that, it's almost like people forgot how to be in the world and couldn't reintegrate after spending more time in solitude and in a kind of virtual life. There was a piece in the New York Times recently about, quote unquote, getting over the pandemic and how we just can't, how we've been fundamentally altered. It's titled, Things I Thought Made Sense Just Don't Anymore. And one excerpt is about COVID. The author has an image of a bridge covered in that apocalyptic orange haze that many of us are familiar with after wildfires. And it says in block text, quote, I thought the world would come back after the pandemic. I thought I would come back after the pandemic. I thought there would be an after the pandemic. None of these things have happened yet. And she continues in a separate block of text, quote, Most days I feel as if I woke up from a nap I didn't mean to take into a world I don't quite recognize, end quote. And I think this is how a lot of people feel. I'm about to turn 39, and I went to the pandemic feeling like, although I was no longer a very young person, that the norms and expectations and how people looked and dressed and talked all made sense. I had finished graduate school two years prior, so in in fall 2018, and felt somewhat new in official adulthood after spending so much of my adult life in this liminal space of professional graduate student. But in the last year, or maybe a little bit more, it's like I aged 50 years overnight. I have become alienated, as Durkheim suggested, from the social bonds that keep people feeling like they have a place in society, like they are part of something bigger than themselves. Durkheim called this solidarity. It's like I'm an out-of-touch recluse, but not because I didn't want to change or because I wanted to withdraw from society just that I never really got reintegrated. And it's like a long period of time passed me by, but it didn't really. I think a lot of people might be feeling this way, and Durkheim would say, makes sense. We were going through collective anomie, and we have never recovered. And I also think of the rise of conspiratorial thinking you know, it has always existed and has been prevalent to varying degrees, but really amplified during the immediate months following our first coming to know about COVID, and it's continued. In a time of collective anomie, 
people were seeking things to mitigate that sense of disconnection, of flailing about, of not being able to deal with the changes that were happening and online conspiracy theories, and I, I use this term kind of loosely, communities of others who shared their beliefs gave people a way to kind of mitigate the anomic state that they were stuck in. And these groups function much like other social groups, right? They give people opportunities to connect. Um, they allow people to craft stable identities in the midst of chaos and instability by coalescing around kind of common beliefs and goals. And they're loose enough that many things can be fit into that, right? New things can just be integrated into this broader kind of archetype of beliefs. And it creates a replacement for the collective consciousness, again, to use a Durkheimian term, that fell by the wayside for many people. And we can see how people cling to these ideas and beliefs and, and common raging defense of others, much like we would see in more traditional communities or groups. And this is really a danger of the intense solitude that is the shadow of the hermit. When we become too reclusive, when we become too tied maybe to going outside of the norms, anything quote unquote mainstream, it, meaning, you know, coming from a legitimate source or, or accepted by people who quote unquote aren't like you, this is aided obviously by having more time being in the midst of these media algorithms that show us more and more amplified content that they think we like, so we keep using, it creates a spiraling effect and a compounding effect. One in which we alone are part of a secret club that is far superior to the knowledge and wisdom that anyone else may have, and we must outright reject anything that challenges our new worldview and our new group and it has created some dangerous and damaging ideologies and discourse and actions that persist even as COVID restrictions have loosened. And a lot of those folks have long since stopped, if they ever did in the first place, any kind of social distancing. And we see the effects on our friendships, on the media, on our politics, and it sucks. And I think of this when I think of the dangers of viewing the hermit as taking time away or being by yourself. It is good to take time to reflect and to be in solitude, but there are risks of becoming too reclusive, of losing a bit of grip on reality that comes when we bounce ideas off of other people and they're like, whoa, hold on, no. And, you know, feeling like you're on the outside and, and try as you might, you can't get back in. That's a place where you are stuck where you can't grow, where you can't integrate the wisdom and the insight that the hermit can bring. All right, I know this episode has gone a little bit longer, but as I said, this is one of my favorite cards. I love this card. I have a lot of thoughts about it, but let's talk imagery. In the Rider Waite Coleman Smith version of the card, there is an elderly man who wears a long gray, maybe grayish blue cloak with a hood. He carries a staff or a wand in his one hand, reminiscent of the magician's staff, and a lantern with a six-pointed star in the other. 
Some have said that the six-pointed star is the triangular symbols for fire and water combined. And the lantern symbolizes guidance, right? It's literally lighting the path. And the inner voice or insight of the sage, the hermit, he's traversing what appears to be snowy, mountainous terrain representing aspirations or maybe a difficult journey. He is self-reliant as he has the staff to help him walk so he doesn't really need assistance. The version in the Tattoo Tarot, uh, which I've talked about before, is very similar overall, except that the Hermit's cloak is green with a kind of gold or yellowish weaving. And when I think of the color green, I think of grounding, of nature, of calm, of peace, of serenity. It is an interesting choice, though, as we often use the, the phrase kind of green around the ears or or someone's green to refer to new or inexperienced, which doesn't correspond at all with the wisdom and mentorship of the hermit. But nonetheless, green is not a color that's widely used as like a central color in the Rider Waite Coleman Smith version of the deck. So I love the pop of green in this version of the card. It also pushes back against that austerity that is often associated with the hermit and is reflected in the sort of drab gray cloak of the Rider Waite Quillman Smith hermit. The tattoo tarot of hermit has a colorful cloak, rich green with this gold weaving or designs. And I don't know if the artist intended to push back against that stereotype, but I appreciate it nonetheless. So thanks so much for listening to this episode of the show. And next week, we are on to key 10, the Wheel of Fortune, another one of my favorite cards and a card that's quite personal to me. So tune in for the next leg of our journey. And you can find me at Crystalline Knowledge Tarot on Instagram. I also have a Patreon for listeners who want to support my work, get some additional perks like a monthly tarot spread delivered to your email. You can find the link to my Patreon in the show notes. And thanks a lot. See you next time.